Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Imagine owning the largest HVAC business in the United States, $240 million. You guessed it. Today's guest is Josh Kelly with Clover. I noticed Josh and I have very similar values, which means you're going to want to stick around for this because it's going to be really dope. Most of my guests drop huge bombs. However, Josh drops an atomic bomb. The reason you want to listen to this is because Josh, at the end of this, provides you with a link to a free sales training that I've already checked out, and I'm telling you, it's super dope. Let me ask you a question. Why haven't you left a review yet on Apple or Spotify? I'd work really hard for this podcast, and I'd really love it if you go do that. So if you're the person that hasn't left a review, I'm talking to you. Hi, I'm Corey Barrier, number one best-selling author of Nine Simple Steps to Sell More Shit. You can find my book on Amazon.com by searching my name, C-O-R-E-Y-B-E-R-R-I-E-R. For companies with customer service teams who are dissatisfied with their current performance, my CSR Accelerator raised the call book rate from 51 to 93% in just 120 days using my proprietary process. If you would like more information, go to HVACPlumbingSales.com. Or you can email me directly at C-O-R-E-Y, C-O-R-E-Y at C-O-R-E-Y-S-A-L-E-S dot com. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn, apply it to your life. It's your turn to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with my man, Josh Kelly. What's up, Josh? What's up, man? Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, too, Good to see you too man. You got a way fancier background than me, though. I'm thinking you are. So, you know, it's interesting. I got to give my wife credit. I get more compliments on that background than anything, and she hand-painted that crap. Did she really? Like, that's not, yeah, like she painted that whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre. Like, I couldn't have done that if you'd have paid me $40 million. I'm not sure I could paint this, and it's just a white wall. So, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So, Josh, look, for everybody that does not know you, just give us a quick overview of who you are and what you do, brother. Yeah, I'm, so I'm a contractor. I mean, 
I'm a contractor by definition. I'm not someone you want to come fix your sink or anything like that. I'd be uh, be the worst contractor ever for that. But, you know, I play in the HVAC and plumbing space. I have businesses across the United States that I own and operate. Most people know me from my family's business. Parker & Sons is the largest, most successful, most profitable company in the United States for HVAC, plumbing, electrical. We'll do $240 million this year. And then I've helped companies across the United States. If you were to say the top 50 companies in the United States size-wise, I work with about half of them, maybe a little bit more than half, just helping them grow their business, be more profitable, operations, marketing, sales, the whole scheme. I'm kind of like the, right now at least anyway, I'm kind of in the industry like the high-end, uh, you know, ninja consultant, we'll call it. Don't quote that. That's terrible. No one write that down. But <laughs> that's what we're saying is helping companies across the United States. And then we help smaller companies too, but in kind of a different way, a little bit more scalable, obviously. So I'm just curious, out of all the things that you listed that you help companies with, what do you? which part of all those things do you enjoy the most? I enjoy operations the most because it has the largest impact, right? Like, so a lot of people really think of me because our name, and we screwed this up, is Clover Marketing originally, right? Now we're just Clover. But a lot of people for years think of us as Clover Marketing. And like they put business all in this marketing company. Some people think we do digital media. We, we don't do any of this. And I have no problem. Like I can take companies without a USP, without a strategy, like things, companies that think they know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, you know, your cost per acquisition is $30 instead of 200 because you're working with us. And that makes a big difference in their business. But what I found is the best place to start is always making money off the customers you already have. Really maximizing the value because... No matter how cheap a lead I get to you, if you don't do a good job of building a fence around them, making sure no one else gets in, creating a lot of value with that customer and may actually making money off that customer, it really doesn't matter. So I like to focus on operations, number one, because I think it's fun. Number two, because I think it's where you can make the biggest difference. Awesome. I love that you brought up existing customer base. How many, now, granted, the people that haven't worked with you, let's talk about the people that haven't worked with you or haven't worked with me. What? How many companies out there, I would you say, don't reactivate their customer base? They don't touch their customer base. They just, that customer was a new customer and they were excited. And now they're spending money to go find some other random customer when they got this guy right in their backyard, but they're not utilizing. Let me shift the question slightly. Because how many reach out to their customer base? A small percentage, maybe 5 to 10%. How many do it well? Oh. Like 1% less. Yeah. That's really like a lot of people don't realize. Like, you know, I tell people there's a group of people, you may know this group of people that already know, like, and trust you and are willing to spend money with you. You know what they're called? Your current customers. <laughs> Why don't we just get them to use us more often, right? There's really, there's three things in three things only. Like you'll find, like I like to speak in like really simple terms, just simple scalable. And I work on with scalable businesses, right? Is there's only three things that will bring in more revenue and three things only. You cannot get like more simplistic than this. It's one, bring in more customers, right? And that's what everyone tends to focus on, right? The second one is make more money from the customers you're already getting. Raise your prices, upsell, cross-sell, whatever that is. And a good percentage of customers do that, right? Almost nobody focuses on the third one, which is get, get your customers to use you more often. And it's, it sounds so simple, but literally, those are the only three ways to make more money. More revenue, not profit. Now, we're not talking about that, but just pure revenue. 
everything falls into one of those three things without exception. And the, a third of the options people don't even pay attention to. It blows my mind. What was the third option? You cut out when you said it. So it's more customers. So get new, new customers, right? Make more money of the customer you already have. And then get your customers to use you more often. Yes, using you okay, using you more often. That's the part I missed. Absolutely. That's where maintenance plans come in, right? Well, not just maintenance plans. There's a lot of ways to do it, right? Like you could be building a long-term nurture, you could be building a fence around customers, you could be asking referrals and follow-up process, you could be delivering value. Certainly maintenance agreements are part of that. But even just cross-selling and bring things back into your world is super easy to do and surprisingly effective even simple like big companies do this a lot of them don't do great but big companies all do sales recovery right small companies don't do any form of sales recovery it freaking blows my mind <sighs> yeah you don't know how real that conversation is for me right now you just don't yeah. know but real soon and it's going to be it's going to be pretty pretty incredible huge gap what you just mentioned huge gap so you mentioned Dang it. I knew I should have wrote it down. You mentioned something just a second ago. And I'm like, dang it. It was brilliant too. It was something, yeah. Yeah, it was. It'll come back to me, whatever it was. So I do think that, look, if you've got a whole customer base that you haven't, this is, oh, here it was. How many times do you recommend, let's say you've got a company that's got 2,000, hypothetically 2,000 customers. They've never reactivated the customers. They don't touch the customers. What's your what, what do you think the best way to start re-engaging with those customers? Is it through a mailer? Is it through email? Is it through all of the things? I'm just curious which way you go because the second part of that question is what if they have hit those customers twice a year opposed to never hit them? Because the it's a different scenario. Right. So I'm gonna answer this in two different ways. Okay. I'm writing it down so I don't forget my second thing. So like what lead source do we talk about? Really, I like to move up the value chain and lead source, meaning like what's going to give me the biggest bang of the buck, take the list, least risk and least cost. So I tend to start with email and then go to text message, then go to ringless voicemail, then direct mail. And then the last thing I'm doing, I'm calling. Because each one of those is more expensive than the other and it's more difficult to be successful at. The email you know, it takes, sure, it takes a half hour to build a really good email, but then you send it once and you can send that to all 2,000 people. You don't want to send it to 2,000 people at a time. You want, if that's your customer base, you've got, you don't have that many texts, right? You probably want to send them to 50 or 100 at a time and kind of spread them out, but you move up the value chain. The truth is you have to do all those things. You can skip direct mail. I don't because a certain percentage of customers are going to reply by email, certainly going to do by text message. Certain are going to do by direct mail. I'm like, I'm trying to capture as many customers as I can. And I eliminate the list each time. So if I have 2,000, I send an email to, let's just, let's say I email all 2,000, which I wouldn't do because then I have to make phone calls if it works, right? But I email 2,000, I book, you know, 250 calls. Now I got a list of 1,750 to text message. I don't keep text messaging that same group, right? And that's a simple mistake that we all do too. Like we've all made that mistake. So that's the median I use, but let me pull back because there's a big piece of that a lot of people mess up because they just have no idea. And is if you've never reached out to your customer base, you better do it really thoughtfully and carefully. Number one, build value. Don't go straight to the sale because that's a good way to end up being spammed, right? Number two, like this is super simple. Create a burner email. Like so many people have no idea what the hell that is. It means like if your company is, you know, 
uh, we'll just call it AC Pros, right? And your website is acpro.com. Don't send an email from josh at acpro.com. Send it from joshacpro.com at gmail.com that you never intend to use that email again. Bust out those 2,000 emails knowing a large percent of them are going to be marked as spam. And whatever's left, that's why I'm going to continue to email, right? But that way, I'm not going to burn my own URL's value. Yes. Right? Simple stuff, but like that sucks if you do that the wrong way. Dude, here's the thing. When people do that, one, they don't realize they've done it. So the the the, the stuff that comes after that is that you, if you don't know you got your email address is burnt, you don't know that all your emails that are going out are going all going into spam or they're going into promotion. And it could be who knows how long because most of us email people that we know. So therefore, that's not going to happen to those people, right? If they're in your, if they're locked, if you're locked into their address book or whatever, it may be months before you know, depending on who's handling it and how much attention you're paying to it, right? So you said something important, Josh. You said you better do it quickly. So that's why it's exactly why I ask you that question because, again, if you haven't reached out to those people, they do. They're going to think you're spam if it's been a long time, right? Potentially. Attention contractors of the Successful Life Podcast. Want to supercharge your business decisions? We've got something just for you. Head over to our website, SuccessfulLifePodcast.com, and click on the free download button to grab your copy of Warning When Hiring a Leadership Coach. Equip yourself with the insights you need to make informed decisions for your business. Don't miss out. Yeah, no, for sure. You want to be as timely as you possibly can. And really there's two sides to this, right? I'm going down like a rabbit hole here, right? But there's the kind of sales recovery and opportunity side. And there's what I would call a long-term nurture. Long-term nurture, generally I'm putting people into buckets. So I'm identifying on the front end. For us, we just use three buckets because it's simple. It's, you know, young, no kids, family, older, no kids, because I'm going to speak to these three different groups slightly differently. Not significantly, but enough where it sounds like I'm speaking to them, right? And I'm going to use that to build long-term nurture where I really provide value more than I make offers. Occasionally I'll make offers, but it's the rarity, right? So a good example of that is like in the middle of summertime, we might here in Phoenix give a discount ticket to Sunsplash, which is one phone call for me. But, you know, they get to save $10. I get to get in their inbox to provide value with no disadvantage. But I certainly don't want to send that to a young people, no kids, right? right? So they might be a music festival to come up or an art festival or whatever, right? So you build these kind of custom ones and you can plan them out ahead of time pretty effectively. You want to be flexible with it, right? When opportunities come up, but that's the, my long-term nurture, which is like consistently, generally twice a month is why I recommend. If you're not sophisticated and that sounds like a lot from you, just batch it, man. Just sit down, spend four hours and like plan for the next three months. It's not that complicated. That's the long-term nurture side. The other side is the sales recovery or opportunity one which is, hey, I know all these systems are 10 years old. I'm going to send them an install offer, right? I'm going to put a really compelling story together. We're going to give a reason that's not necessarily because of us. That creates urgency, right? So we can't be blamed. Like they're going to hold on to this forever. We can't do that. It's from our distributor manufacturer. I don't have a choice, right? Or a buyback program. Or There's so many cool stuff you can do. And that's more opportunity driven. And that's based not on combination of two things there's immediate sales recovery like within the first week i went out to the install they didn't say yes but i want to keep that list for the next 
two years, five years, whatever, right? And keep hitting them up. But I use that as, hey, I need install calls. That's why I go after. I need plumbing drain calls. Okay, I that, I have a list of that to go after. So a big piece of this too is like, this doesn't help you if you're not keeping track of opportunities. Meaning like, I don't know who gets a drain call every single year. I don't know if they have an older water heater. I don't know if they have an older AC system. I don't know if they replaced their compressor two years ago, or if we talked about an air scrubber for the last three visits that we did, and we're not marking that stuff down, it gets really hard to follow up those opportunity calls or opportunity emails and text messages. And you get it. hundred percent, dude. And guess what? The, you know, the other piece to that is that list, dude, that's what people are going to buy when they buy your company. That's really what they're buying. They're not really buying your company. Don't get me wrong. They're, the company comes with it, but the list is the value. That's what they're, that's what they're buying. Your customer list. That used to be the truth. That's less the truth now. Now it's buying your business, but really it depends on your size too, right? If you're a million or $2 million business, yeah, they're buying, you're buying your list. That's ultimately what it is. They're buying your list. Hey, I realize I could activate, you know, 20% of this list right away. That has a certain dollar amount value to me. So I'm going to pay you that. Right. And everything on top of that's great. If you're a larger business, like the way we've evaluated businesses and I think a lot of them involved in a lot of sales over the last few years is kind of ridiculous and i'm involved with basically every pe group it's really based off of like ebitda and profitability and the whole industry is kind of shifted and that's going to get further and further down in the cost of a business being like it used to be the case it's been the case for a while for you know 10 million dollar plus businesses or like 100 million or 50 million plus right but it's now starting to trickle down to like the four and five million and that will continue, which is good and bad, right? Because if you're highly profitable, that's a good thing. If you're a million dollar shop, you can be high pro highly profitable, and but you tend not to be. Because if you're a million dollar shop, if you're highly profitable, you'd be two million by next year. Right. Yeah. That's right. And sometimes it makes more sense to, you know, and we're you're seeing this a lot. It does make more sense for a lot of these owners just to get out from the hustle and bustle and the stress of having that company underneath them, they make more money sometimes just selling the company and going to work for somebody else. Yeah, I forget exactly who said it, but it's, this is not a me quote, but I can't think of what it is. But the worst, there's three options in business. You could succeed, you could fail fast, or you could fail slowly. By far the worst is failing slowly, right? So I know contractors that come to us, and, and like legit, we turn around their business, but like they've been in the business 10 years you know, last year they made a hundred grand in profit, right? And they paid themselves 40 or 50. It's like, man, you've been doing this too long to make that kind of money. Like you're failing slow. Like you're one big issue away from going out of business. And like, it's just a shitty life is the honest truth, right? That's not a business. That's a high paying job. If you stop working, you stop making money. That's rough, man. And it, you can make more. You can go work for someone else, make 150, 200 grand tomorrow. Right. Without the stress, without the headaches, without the issues. And a lot of people don't want to do that because they take a lot of pride in being an entrepreneur and owning your own business. But I would tell you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a million dollar shop and you made a hundred grand last year, it's a shit out a shit or get off the pot situation, right? Like you either really focus on your growth and how to grow your business to something substantial where it can sustain itself without you, or you're gonna be there your whole life and you're gonna look back and be like, I should have worked for someone else this whole time, which is shitty, but it's just the truth. 
Well, part of that is the owner, lots of times the owner holds, uh, they hold the keys. They are the business. And so you get to that end point and you say, I'm exiting the business. Well, you've been holding the business up. There is no business without you. So if you don't come with the business, there is no business. 100%. And that's when uh, you sell at a discount and you rely on this big paycheck for your retirement, right? But you should have been building your, been building your retirement for years. And uh, a business is only sellable if it's an actual business, not a high paying job, right? That's right. Yeah. Not to be harsh here, but it's just the honest truth. And you know this, Corey, like if a business isn't growing, I would say, you know, 999 times out of a thousand, there's one reason and one reason only, and it's the owner. The person driving or the GM, like they're comfortable in some way. And that's the reason it's not growing. So it's almost like a decision, like a hundred, making a hundred grand or 200 grand. You know, honestly, even 500 grand, once you really dig into this, it's not complicated. Um, it's a choice that I'm not going to accept that anymore. And I'm going to get the help and the learning and I'm going to visit people and I'm going to push myself. And that's just no longer acceptable. And the moment you really take that internally, you will grow just by doing that. Yeah, hundred percent. And you're, you said it, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, you know, you mentioned, and I agree with this, the owners nine times out of 10, the chokehold. And it could be that there's the owners has too much control or they just don't, they're scared. A lot of pe people are scared. And I get that. I've been right there and you got a lot to be scared about, but you do have to depend on other people when you don't have answers. And here was the real question. It is usually the owner. Is it the owner, in your opinion, keeping that GM there that's really not doing anything? We, and we've all seen it. Or is it is it the actual owner holding it back? Is it the GM plus the owner or is it just the owner, in your opinion? Man. I should say right-hand man. Let me rephrase that. Whoever their right-hand man is has been there since day one. You get it. I get it. Overwhelmingly, it's the owner. It can be that right-hand man, but like if the owner is really doing his job, then he knows that, and he's either fixing it or moving away from that person, right? You don't have to always let him go. Sometimes you can train it out of there or whatever, but it's overwhelmingly the person in charge, and it's not necessarily fear, too. Like There are certainly people who play scared, right? And when you play scared, you don't play as well, and we all know that, and it's not just a business thing. It's a sports. It's a life. It's an everything, right? But it's more comfort level, right? This is what I'm comfortable with. And I know what this looks like. And because of that, I don't push significantly harder or don't try new things or don't go outside the box. Or don't put myself in situations where I'm the dumbest guy in the room, which is the ideal place to be, right? So because I'm comfortable enough where I'm at, because if you were to ask any business owner, I've never had ever anyone say, no, I don't want to make more money, right? Everybody wants to grow. They're just not willing to do the work that it takes to do it. They're, they're, Wanting to grow means shit, right? You have to take the action to do it too, right? Which is not complicated. Like, this is like a really dick comment, but it's just the truth. Like, I know a lot of business owners in this industry, and some of them, most of them are incredibly successful. Like, we're in an industry where someone like that doesn't do well makes 200 grand a year. You know what I mean? Which is unbelievable compared to other businesses, right? And I know people who make millions of dollars a year, and I'm surprised they could tie their shoelaces. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't take a genius to be really successful in this business. You just have to be good at one or two things. And when I say good at one or two things, I mean really good at one of those two things, one or two things. And it doesn't have to be the same thing. Some companies are just badass at marketing. Some companies are really good at sales. 
Some companies are really good at recruiting. Some companies are really good at building culture and creating experience, right? And if you have just one of those, you could easily be a $10 million business. Like easy, not complicated, not difficult. So if you're sitting here listening and saying like, hey, I don't have any of those things, like what are you best at? Why don't we focus on that, right? And just do the work, right? Get that coach, get that helper, go visit those businesses. Go visit the $50 million business that will let you in, that you really admire, that that is really good at recruiting, which is what you want to focus on, right? Because they're out there. And they're willing to talk if you're if you come with you know with some humility and ask for help. Everybody likes their ego built, and you can grow your business really quickly. Like I take I look at some of these businesses that come to us, and we tend not to work with real small businesses. If you're like, you know, you are the guy. It's a one tech shop. Like I can help you, but it's just not. I'm not probably the best at doing that. If we're just being totally honest, right? I'm more about training GMs and owners, but like. I look at some of these businesses and sometimes like they'll have, they'll really pitch me and they'll give me like a story and they really want the help. It's like, all right, if you're working with me, you're doing 1 million this year, next year you're doing three and a half. Like they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, That's, <laughs> if you're not willing to do three and a half, then we're not working together. Right. <laughs> but here, you know, one point that I think is super important. So when you figure out whatever that thing is that you're good at, and I was going to mention this earlier, one thing that I noticed that, very few people in this space do unless you're at a really high level, which is collaboration. So if you figure out you're really good at that one thing, you've got to figure out other people around you that are smarter than you in those other areas. Right. You have to. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, man, up to a certain size, you can do it. I know companies that do four, five million, six million, where really that owner is the bottle cap and he's involved in every single decision. And you're clear that by any, by anyone's definition, that's a successful business, right? You know, you're doing 6 million, you're doing 15%, you know, you're making close to a million dollars, maybe making over a million dollars in profit a year. It's hard to argue that's not successful, right? But what I would tell you is that's not a business, that's still a high paying job. Because if you leave, business leaves or you get an accident or whatever, right? So moving to that next level where you really have a management team and you're delegating and you're not necessarily doing all the work, but you're helping people grow and do the work for you. That's when it gets really exciting because like, I would say the biggest jump is that, you know, six to $10 million range because people try not to let go of the reins and you have to. But once you hit that $10 million range, I can tell you right now, because I've done it, I don't know how many times, maybe 30 times, right? 10 to 50 is not that hard. 10 to 100, not that hard. Once you get to 100, I guess, you know, there's a lot of sophistication that comes after that. Well, but between 10 and 100, it's more, you're more or less, it's repeatable processes, right? That's what makes it that. It yeah, well, you're, you're just expanding. You're just expanding and you're expanding your team. You have to go to a different reporting structure. Most of them are going to like the military reporting model where there's the team leads, the supervisors, the managers, but you're really rinsing, repeating up until a point. And then, at a certain size, you really got to focus on automation because it's just, you can't, I mean, data input. You know, if you're using someone in the United States instead of overseas or a software to do data input, like this could drain your life away. <laughs> like the most basic stuff, like, you know, we're at Home Depots and Costco's and it's like, you got to fill out these forms afterwards. And we used to pay people in America to do that. And it was like, holy shit, we have five full-time people doing Home Depot and Costco forms. That's ridiculous. 
<laughs> like, why are we doing this? Now we have a software, which is probably more complicated than we need, but a stepping stone was we got some VAs, you know, overseas that did it for, you know, $5 an hour that had college degrees. It was that input. Who cares? You know what I mean? It's not a big deal, but yeah, it gets a point really from 10, 10 plus, you're just scaling the systems that you already did. And the only cap is your comfort level. It's the same thing. Most businesses slow down because, Hey, I made $4 million last year. That's enough for me. That's why like in general, I, you know, I've helped so many companies get so big is because just cause you're comfortable doesn't mean I'm going to let you be comfortable. But it's kind of a hard conversation. I have to handpick people that I work with one-on-one, right? Because, you know, you might see, you know, 15 million as a goal. I'm not going to stop until we hit 50 or what you told me when we first talked, right? Cause it's your business. It's not mine, but yeah, it's interesting, man. The dynamic of it, it's not complicated. It really isn't. Well, I think what you're saying too, is like, that's why they're hiring you is to push them, right? If they could push themselves, they wouldn't have to hire you. Well, yeah. I mean, pushing is a big piece of it, but really it's just, you know, experience too. Like you don't know what you don't know. And that's true. It's not like a lot of business owners that hire me, like these are guys that are going to grow anyway. I'm just shorting the length and lowering the risk For because sure. I've done it so many times and I got the systems, I got the processes. I know how to set up the automation. I know how to build managers. I'm going through the, I've done it so many times. And it's not just like my ideas, like make no mistake. The reason I'm good is because I visited so many companies and high level operators. I probably have been close to a thousand businesses by now. Which is ridiculous when you really think about it, right? The shit talk. I'm going this weekend. I go next week. And you know what I mean? Like it's, I go to teach, but I also learn, man. And, and I mean, that's why I'm good. So it's a combination of holding them accountable and really just having proven playbooks from across the United States with different, different companies, different personalities, different cultures. It goes a long way in lowering the risk and speeding up the, you know, accelerating the growth. For sure. And profitability because. You know, a lot of people talk about growth and revenue, but who gives a shit about revenue? When it comes down to it, all that matters right. is profit. That's 100% correct. All right, so you mentioned automation. So I'm going to ask you, I didn't really think, I didn't really expect to ask you this necessarily, but what are you seeing in terms of automation with, from consumer, let's just say, to an HVAC company? Like, what are you seeing in terms of making the customer experience easier through automation? So there, there's a bunch of stuff where some, a few select people are really pushing right now. So like selling systems online and upfront pricing online, right? Which is something we'll eventually be forced to do. That's just the truth, right? Customer expectations have shifted. Setting up and scheduling online. And like some people take it directly into their CRM or their field management system. Like a service type just bought schedule engine, right? And going through the whole process. It's... People are leaning into this, but the vast majority of contractors aren't leaning fully in. Now, what I would say is the first adapters rarely are the winners. It's the early adapters, but not the first adapters, right? So I'm of the opinion, like at some point, yeah, we are all going to have to put pricing systems online. It's going to happen. I guarantee it, right? It's, I believe so, so firmly I would bet money against it. Does that have to be next year? No. But we can put ranges, right? Because we got to answer, like, we can't avoid that question, right? Like, so many contractors were taught, like, how much does it cost to get a new system? And they give, like, they're on the phone. They go, well, it all depends on what you need, what's going on. Like, we don't know exactly what's in your attic, what type of system you have, the sizes, the furnaces, gas. I can ask you a million questions. But the truth is, I'm not even a technician, right? So 
I can't give good answers, right? And we've all been taught to give this answer. And I'm not against that answer, but it's, most of the time customers get, no, I get that, but give me a range. Right. And then, then a CSR will be like, well, I can't because this, and if I say a number, right? And you're just dancing around it and that's bullshit. It's a yep. terrible experience, right? Just give yes. them a number. But don't give them fifteen to twenty thousand. Say for most customers, it's anywhere between three to four dollars a day. That's it. Price of a cup of coffee, not even Starbucks coffee. I'm talking like Dunkin' Donuts tough coffee, right? Which, by the way, three to four dollars a day is fifteen thousand dollars. Just so we're on the same page, right? But people don't do the math. So there, there are some things that we're all moving towards, but you don't have to do it right now. You just have to be half measures. So that three to four dollars a day is a half measure that totally alleviates the customer concern, gets you out there 99 times out of 100, and then it gives you the opportunity to actually give a real pitch. Same thing like with the scheduling online. Like I'm a big fan of having a text system where you can text and schedule online, where you can schedule directly on the website. But to be clear, like some people go straight into their field management system and it's just on the board. I don't do that because I can't ask the questions I would want to ask, build the value of what I want to build. And I can't cross sell on an online chat. Right. I can do all that on the phone. So set it up so they do an online chat, you call them 10 minutes later. Confirm it, hey, I have a few questions, here's the details. You didn't say how old the system is. You know approximately how old, like that's a really hard, it's either they know it or they don't know it, but on the phone, I can figure out, well, how long you live in the house? You ever replaced an AC unit before? Oh, we've been here eight years, we never replaced before. Well, it's at least eight years old then. This gives me some information, right? That I can't do over a chat and I can't cross sell. I can't sell an agreement. I can't get out there for a plumbing call too. Like I can't do all the things that we want to do. So I make that online chat as simple as possible, knowing I'm going to call them anyway. It's one of those like, I mean, it sounds bad to say it's a half measure, but it's a half measure, right? I'm appeasing the customer, give them what they want, but I'm still setting it up where I'm successful. In it. Whereas probably five years from now, if, there will be some customers will get pissed off if we call. It's not happening now, but there will be a time where they will, and then we'll have to adjust. Sure. Until then, don't worry about it. Just set up an online portal and then call. Yes, hundred percent. Answer question. I feel like that's no yeah, good, great answer. Forty minutes of me just rambling. No, great answer. So, so what happens when let's just take one of your companies and that chat comes in at nine p.m. What happens? Well, I mean, if you're a badass, you're answering at 9 p.m. I agree. But we know but I mean, if you're a small company, that's probably not realistic, right? So you call first thing in the morning. You're gonna confirm, you're gonna confirm automatically with an email, letting them know that you're on the schedule. You're probably gonna send them an automated text message, which by the way is super easy to do, saying, Hey, we got you. You're gonna be on the call for tomorrow, but we will give you a call first thing in the morning just to go over everything, give them the details. That way they know the call's coming, but they feel comfortable that what you don't want to do is just a thank you page when they click the submit button and they're like, well, did they book the call or not? So you want to send them an email, but the truth is a lot of people don't check email fast enough, especially late at night where they're watching that, but text messages they do, right? So you text them right away and that kind of gives you the space to call in the morning. You know something, I'll tell you an experience that I thought was unreal that I had, it was probably about a month ago. I had to do something with Verizon and just like everybody, I'm busy. Like, I don't have time to sit on the phone with them. I just don't. And so they have a text feature that I could. And here's what I loved about it. I could come back to that conversation whenever I felt like it. And somebody would answer. Like, it could be three hours. 
six hours. It didn't make any difference. Now, I don't know who was on the other end, nor do I care because they were answering my question. That was pretty cool. So I don't, I, I haven't experienced anything like that at any other company. Have you ever heard of anything like that? Yeah, of course. It's just a rotary line. So what they're doing is, you know, if you've been dead for 15 minutes, it goes into the main pool. And then as soon as you text, it comes right back up. And you're, they're just keeping an email chain or a text chain, which makes it easier for them. They don't, like, you may see if you close that window down, it may delete the rest, right? They don't, like, Captain. Yeah. No, it keeps, keeps it no matter yeah, what. They're keeping their chat form on there, too, because, like, a lot of people don't realize if you go to certain chats, like, when you leave and you come back, it's like it started over fresh. But that's not what they're seeing on their end. Right. They're seeing every conversation you ever had, right? And it's chronological. It's like, oh, here was the problem we had last week. Like now I'm aware of it, just like we would do with our own customers, right? Uh, and if you're doing this right, this is all in your CRM or your field management system, wherever you're using, right? So yeah, I mean, they have that capability and that's like a, that's a button to turn on for most companies. It's super easy. It's, I just, I guess I just, I don't, I've never had anybody else. I've never, I've never had anybody else have that feature where I could come back to it. I was just, I was mind blown. And if people can have the access to it, why the hell are they not using it? I mean, I... Yeah, I mean, really, it's. I mean, think I mean, about how we, Josh. Days, think about how we communicate. After like thirty days or something like where it removes it, but yeah, I mean, there's no disadvantage to having it. It's just you know, some people don't think to turn things on. Like, it's surprising how often people like just they buy stuff and they use stuff, especially software, and they never even really research its real capabilities. So they're using like ten percent of what they would want to use if they just knew. I am a victim of that. I promise you. I promise we you. We yeah. all are. Some worse than others, right? Yeah. It makes me furious when I figure out that I've been spending 45 minutes on this thing and I could have just clicked a button that I didn't know about. <laughs> oh, my goodness. In terms of, like, do you see this thing completely? Do you ever see a day where this, where it's an Uber, right? Taxi cab drivers years ago would never imagine a random dude could get this car and drive people around. I'm starting to think that, you know, I feel like home services are changing and going into more of that direction. And I don't know if they're, I don't know how much they're changing right this second, but I do believe that is coming way quicker than people think. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a little bit more experienced with this than most people. So, you know, part of my background after, Parker, I have software business. I mean, it's still, you know, HVAC businesses the whole time, right? But I have software business. I ended up getting into a company called Pulse based out of San Francisco. It was a, you know, a VC-backed software business that was really trying to Uberize home services. And they were really focusing on appliance repair first. They did TVs and phones before that, and they were moving into plumbing and HVAC and help them raise a shit ton of ridiculous amount of money and just different aspect of it. And it was a very cool experience. Like I ran sales and I ended up running recruiting and retention and I ended up running business development all within a year. It was just fucking insane. But I was in San Francisco every week and it was a tough life, but great experience. And their whole thing was Uberizing home services. And they did a pretty good job of it to be perfectly clear, right? Like they were turning a lot of money, you know, and bringing on a lot of techs. Like when I took over recruiting, we went from recruiting like two to three people a week to 12 to 15 a day, every single day. Yeah, fucking crazy. 
I gave that. That's one of my like weird, like proud moments in business, right? Because they're like, "Hey, Josh, like we're having a lot of recruiting problems. Like it's affecting sales, affecting this. Can you take over recruiting?" I'm like, "Yeah, no, I can handle that. I can take over recruiting." It's like perfect because we already told them the meeting starts in two minutes. I'm like, "Oh shit, okay, I go figure it out, I guess." Right? I just sat there, asked questions, and we came up with a whole plan for the next ninety days, and went from two a week to fifteen a day. But anyway, so I think. Uberizing the home services is coming, but not the same way as Uber. Because here's the big difference. A driver is a fairly low skill driver. I'm not knocking anybody or pushing anything back, but like lots of people could drive for Uber. To be a technician, quality control is much more important. Right? So what we found in Pulse is we always had an issue with quality control. Like it was a constant battle we were trying to follow up all the time. So I don't know if it'll ever be like a huge part of the industry where it's, I'm a single technician. I turn my app on, I do jobs, I turn it off, right? There's all kinds of problems with that from side jobs to, but the biggest one was quality control, right? Like you have very little ability to make sure they did a great job. And then the warranty and the follow-up is on you, not on them because you're in this case, pulse. So what I think they'll end up doing, I don't know how far in the future is, but it's not that far. There'll be major players in the space like Google and Amazon, Apple, they're all developing this right now. And they're gonna like really sell the leads, create the experience, but they're not gonna work with one-off techs. In fact, they're not gonna work with mom and pops or chucking the trucks. What they're gonna do is they're gonna go into Phoenix and they're gonna say, hey, we want three partners that can handle our entire volume that we know the quality control is good, that we have a large amount of influence over, and we know we're not going to have issues with, they're going to stand behind the work. So we're going to work with Parker and Sons and this company. These are the four. We're going to work with three or four, maybe five, whatever it is. But it's never going to be like right now where Google really recommends hundreds of companies. So that's going to happen. And that will be like Uberizing to a point, but it'll be with specific people. Now, if you're smart and you're aware of this, like you could set yourself up for success. This is not a bad thing. This will be great for the industry. If you're unprepared for it, yeah, it's going to suck. So start preparing for it. And there's ways to do that. And if you wanted to have a conversation on how to set yourself up for that, it's not tomorrow. So it's not something you have to panic about. But it could be two years from now. It could be three years from now. It could be next year. I don't know. They're definitely spending a lot of money to try to do it. So do I think it's coming in a modified way? For sure. Um, Google, like Google's already doing this. It used to be driven over PPC where literally anyone could do it, right? Now, most of it's LSA, right? Where it's a Google recommended company. So it drastically decreased the number of people that could do it. It's going to get shorter and shorter because ultimately if Google sends you someone and they do a shitty job that reflects poorly on Google, they don't want that, right? So it's just going to move more and more that way as we go. Well, I think that has eliminated the, you know, being Google verified. Yeah, it that's really eliminated a lot of, you know, chuck it a truck. It's eliminated a lot of people that d- didn't have their shit together, right? I mean, because there's criteria, or at least there used to be. I haven't looked into it recently, but there's a, there used to be criteria of branding, right? You had to have a shingle. You couldn't have just a mailbox, or maybe you could, but you get my point. You had to have yeah, to- yeah it wasn't easy. Yeah, it's significantly more difficult to be qualified. And think about it this way too, right? Like a lot of people think Google is this evil empire, right? And there, there may be some truth to it, but like. When they switched to LSA, they took a big pay cut. You know, there was those trucking trucks that would pay $200 for that lead. Now, big, smart, successful companies didn't do that, which was the majority of the buyers. 
but they still had a lot of people pay $200 for league because they didn't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of set pricing and it's not set like it used to be, but really it's like between 35 and $40 for a service call. Like that's way less than what they used to, right? Yeah. Way less. So they just, they, you know, Google does make decisions. Like if we could provide better service, we're okay with not making as much money which should scare the crap out of people who are like, oh, I'm not Google certified. Number one, go get Google certified. Number two, understand there's something else coming down the pipeline that will limit this even further, right? Which if you're set up for it, good, less competition. If you're not set up for it, get set up for it. Yeah, or pay the consequences. I mean, there will always be business like the small guys are never going to go away, right? But how they do business will significantly have to shift. Well, in reality is they're be, they'll have a better business if they do move forward and just join this oh, thing. Yeah. Like you're going to be more successful. It, it's really not rocket science. No, it's not. It's not complicated. It really isn't. And the things that Google asks you to do to be certified, like you should do already, right? <laughs> Like, like so many people could be Google certified, but they're like, they just didn't take the time or after to do it because they just don't know enough about it. That's crazy. Enough. Anyway, you're right. And now, you know, every, you get busy and there's just not time in the day to do, you know, if you're at that million dollars, you're running around like a chicken, you know, with the chicken with its head cut off, head cut off. And that, you know, it is what it is, but it's fascinating. The automated stuff's fascinating. I think it's interesting. Like, I know I've kind of beat this to a little bit of a dead horse, but if you think about how people communicate, right? If you think about, you know, I'm 44 years old. To be completely transparent, if I never had to pick up the phone and call anybody ever, and I'm a sales guy, like that's not even, it sounds weird for me to even say that, but I just don't care to talk to anybody on the phone. If I can do it, if I can do it as quickly online, I will, right? Right. I will. And I, well, and I mean, I'm yeah. And I mean, there's this shift based off your demographic. The younger you are, the more likely you are to be that way. But there's certainly exceptions at every age demographic, right? But like, like I don't go to the grocery store. Like I got everything delivered. Like my whole life shifted. And I think COVID kind of, for a lot of people, sped up this process, accelerated quite a bit because they would never think of, you know, having a groceries order. Now the majority of people get their groceries ordered, right? And it's going to continue to go that way. Like if it's easier and simpler, which by the way, it is easier and simpler than getting on the phone to do a text message or do an online chat, then people will. Not everyone, but you know, it's like one of those things. If 5% of customers wanted to text message to book calls, is that enough people to pay for a text platform? Hell yes, it is. <laughs> it's not even comparable. You know what I mean? Like text platforms are usually you know, tens of dollars a month. How many calls do you need to convert to make that make sense for you? Right? Maybe right. you would got some of those anyway, but some of them you wouldn't. Well, so. it's also key to know that five percent, right? And that's why I went my head went left and right because I thought well, you you wouldn't you wouldn't right. You got to know the five percent you're sending the text messages to as well because those other ninety five percent of the people that didn't answer the first or second time they probably don't want to get that from you. Right. You'd be surprised that like, people are more open to text messaging now. It, let me pull that back. If you do a good job at it, people are open to text messaging. Like, I don't know, like Arizona is like a swing state. So like I got so many political text messages this last election. It was insane, obnoxious, annoying. Don't be that guy. Right. But if you make it personal, it's from a friend. 
right? You use a first name, you're using simple wording. You do a good job of building the experience with that text message, then people don't like it. But it's no different than an email, right? Like people really don't know how to do emails. Like they have this beautiful template where it's branded and like they're so proud of how it looks. And then I look at it as like, well, this is clearly a fucking ad. Yeah. They should just say, hey, Josh, comma. I was looking at your shirt. Like, you know what I mean? It should be written like a, you would write an email to a friend because that shit gets opened. And that's, that's right. your beautiful newsletter with, you know, holiday information and like Christmas lights on there. And, you know, fun fact about Christmas trees. Like that shit doesn't get right. No. Employees don't. Right. Your own employees don't. Why would you expect a customer to? Right, you don't open them, right? When you see that man, when you see that email, you're not going to open it. So no. why would you expect your people to open it? Nope, nope, I don't know. Sometimes it's just the easy way, maybe, but at the same time, I think it's just bad advice. Lots of times, just to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, they've been taught like, hey, you've got to be look real professional. It, to be clear, some businesses are built like their USP is how professional they are. And that's different. Most USPs aren't that. Like USP is your unique selling position, like the YU. Professional is a way of, you know, saying quality. There's better ways of saying quality pretty significantly. So, it's, and this is how I approach it. It's kind of like consultative selling. It's not kind of, it is exactly what it is, right? You provide a value and you don't ask for anything. And eventually, guess what? You do that enough times, people are going to want to do business with you. Yeah, it's not that one-on-one -on -one sales call where you're in the house where I'm trying to get the sale right done there. This is an email, which even though it's going to look really personal and feel really personal, it's not. You know, I'm using merge fields. It's all autofill. It's like I'm sending a thousand of them at a time. It's not easy. It's not hard to do. So it's different than that one-on-one -on -one sales call. You can't put pressure on people with an email. Not only does it not work, like it's almost physically impossible to do. So don't try. So it... Like you could get real complicated. What we've really been talking about almost this whole time is activating our customer base, right? And that's such a small piece of it, but it's a piece that a lot of people miss. But let's do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna give away something for free. Is that cool, Corey? Love that. Well, anybody who wants some information, this just email info at growwithclover.com and put this podcast, and we'll give you a free course on how to activate your customer base. We'll go like step by step through it. And how to make sure like you know exactly how to reach out what's effective what's not effective what cadence you should do what time you should send the messages how to build a good title that actually gets open how to build a good offer and then like how to consistently follow up without pissing people off dude i'll be honest that's probably the best thing that you could have ever given away on this podcast i'm serious because there's hundred thousand dollars cash which one's there? Yeah. Right. Which one you want, right? And I guarantee if you take the first one, you'll make way more than that if you just implement the things, right? Oh, over time, for sure. For sure. If you're a big business, absolutely. Within a week, right? If you're a smaller business over time, there's no doubt. For sure. Josh, where can they find you, brother? Just go to growwithclover.com. If you want to shoot me an email, I'm not the best at answering emails real fast. Corey can attest to that. But it's just josh at growwithclover.com. Check us out on our website. If you need help with anything, reach out. We're happy to help. Appreciate you, Josh. It's been a great conversation, my man. I'm a, appreciate it. You got it, brother. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This, 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 this is the Successful Life. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.